Keeper of Secrets, Chapter 2, Dobby's Warning. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Madison. We're going to get some top eight here, because we have a whole eight characters this week. Finally. (laughs) It was a long week last week of having like six, not even six, just like three (laughs) people to deal with. I did enjoy having Dobby's eyes as a whole character, but um, now we have Dobby. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so I think Ron, obviously, though, has to be number one. He's only oh, yeah. in the, the very last line of the chapter. It's the only time he actually shows up. But um, he shows up, and that's what's important. Yeah. He's literally there to save Harry damsel in distress style. Like, yes. locked in a tower, dragon guarding the keep. Mm-hmm. Nope. Not, not when Ron's around. Nope. So... Um, definitely Ron at that top spot. And then we do have Hedwig in this chapter again, and I feel like Hedwig is a contender for the top couple spots again. I honestly like just having owls in general for number two, because I also enjoy the owl that comes in and that scares Ooh. Mrs. Mason to death. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, not a totally nice thing to do, but it's funny. <laughs> I mean, they're, an owl is a bird. It's not the same as like a person coming in and playing a prank. Yeah, it wasn't intentional. Yeah, it was good. Just because my existence offends you doesn't mean I've done something wrong. I think I mainly just like that it was inconvenient for Vernon, and that's what's mm-hmm. most important to me. Yeah, let's pop owls up there then as a whole. Okay. Ron, owls. And then I think Dobby is the only other one in this chapter that is actually putting an effort into doing something for harry (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely um so as much as he's kind of an issue (laughs) for harry (laughs) here i think that um i think that dobby's up there i agree i think dobby um this is a great introduction for him as a character and despite the fact that he is causing harry so much trouble it's easy to see that harry appreciates the effort that dobby has gone to make sure that he does not die in a tragic accident yeah so yeah all right solid all right so we have our top three mm-hmm. what do we think mr and mrs mason before the dursleys i would i would think so um i think so yeah they're I don't know. They're they're just probably not as terrible as the Dursleys. Yeah. At least to, to Harry specifically, anyway. Right. <laughs> we never really know. Yeah. Masons. And then... I feel like Vernon is still the worst of the Dursleys. Yeah, I agree. I think we, sh- we need the, the same order again. I feel like it's going to be Dudley, Petunia, and um, Vernon. Tricky. Who else do we have? <laughs> We don't really have anybody else in the chapter except for maybe if it's Mafalda Hopkirk who sends the Oh yes. I think um I think she can go as number 8 cuz like how <laughs> fucked up is that? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> Last place you do not need to be monitoring the use of magic. Like extra surveillance on Muggleborns, like that's a whole issue and we do not support someone who Stinks. Yeah. Honestly, who punishes somebody for something that they don't even know that they did? Right? Like, Harry didn't even fucking do anything. (laughs) Fuck off, Mafalda. Yeah, or at least pay attention to who's doing the magic. Right. Goodness. you not figure that out? Honestly. Maybe you need a different job. (laughs) Gosh. What a snitch, too. (laughs) Like... He's 12. Of course he's doing magic that he's not supposed to be doing. We see four-year-olds doing magic they're not supposed to be doing at the Quidditch World Cup. It's true. So, um, thank you, next. We don't need you, Mafalda. Yes. Number eight. Honestly, how does it feel to be worse than Vernon? (laughs) That is an accomplishment that few will achieve. I don't think anyone has achieved that yet in our top eights. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like like in Great British Bake Off when like somebody gets Star Baker over and over again. Mm-hmm. This is like the opposite, where Vernon is like <laughs> always going to be in last place. This shit, this is the worst baker. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so I feel so- that feels solid. Like I feel I feel good with that. I think we're good amount. With that. So let's let's fuel up on stuff that we 
enjoyed about this chapter before we give it a total beatdown, um, <laughs> because I got some I got some punches to throw, and I need I need the energy I need the Patronus fuel <laughs> bar so I don't run out of steam before I can complain about everything I want to complain about. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the best thing in this chapter, which is. Ron showing up after Harry has been locked away in his room, potentially to starve to death. <laughs> and Ron literally appears, peeking between the bars to Harry's window to save him like a knight in shining armor because he is precious. True. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's like what you need at the end of this chapter. Because it, yes. it was one more chapter of just like Harry getting a bunch of shit. And it's like, I'm just so <laughs> ready to move on. <laughs> and, like, you get, like, a confirmation at the end of the chapter. Like, okay, we're moving on. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Which is, um, it's what we needed. So I'm, I'm very yeah. happy with that. There's no dragging it out for, like, it's what, chapter five? Bef- chapter eight before we totally leave the Dursleys behind in Sorcerer's Stone. So this feels good to know, like, Ron's here, we're getting the fuck out of town. Yes. So ready. Also, he just, like, shows up outside his second story window, which is just... (laughs) I love it. (laughs) He's... Oh my gosh. Talk about... And this is... I mean, you look at that difference in... No, I'm not gonna complain yet. I'll complain later. (laughs) I'm holding that thought. (laughs) Um, But, like, he doesn't have to show up. Like, he could just be like, well, I guess Harry's, like, not communicating with me. And he could be bitter, but he knows it must mean that something is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, uh, it's, you know, it's another great example of Ron. That's like, how are you so emotionally unintelligent <laughs> to, how do you have a keen mind and understand, like, this is the exact moment when my friend needs me the most? And it's because, like, it will, I mean, we'll get into that in the next chapter, but it's because he's, like, worried about him because he's not responding to anything. And it's just so nice because Harry spent this whole time thinking, like, they don't want to hear from me or anything. And they're mm-hmm. immediately just, like, realizing that if he's not responding, it's because he can't. And that's, yeah, it just shows how well they know each other and it's very cute and, I mean, doesn't really show how well Harry knows them, because he's just like, yeah, they forgot about me, and they don't want to write to me. <laughs> just like, Harry, it's okay. <laughs> they know you exist. Poor thing. Poor thing. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's what happens when you don't, you know, when you ha- when your caregivers are so terrible. Yeah. It's like, you just assume everybody is going to not like you and not want to spend time with you because you're just a slug, and... Harry's not a slug. No. He is a precious young boy with a great friend, thankfully. Yes. A great friend with a flying car. Yes. Which is really convenient. <laughs> I love a flying car. Out of a lot of jams in the future. <laughs> Besides Ron being butamous, um, Dobby, like the whole situation with Dobby, we'll talk about the like fucked up parts about it, but Dobby, he cared so much about a person who he had never met, who he just heard, you know, Harry's like a decent person and he might get in trouble and die this year. So I'm going to go and I'm going to warn him at great bodily risk to try to prevent him from dying. And that's kind of huge for anybody at any point ever to try and do something that big for somebody you don't even know, Mm. like... That's very kind, and and in some ways it's too much. Yeah, like you know, that's don't don't put yourself into that much danger. Like, take care of yourself. Um, but you know, also thanks for thinking of Harry, and uh, your judgment is probably clouded because you're in a horrible situation. So it's okay. <laughs> I put in for Patronus fuel that. Like, Harry's response to seeing Dobby was very sweet, but, like, it's also just, like, sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's it's good plot. We get a lot of good plot, but, um, it's not really that exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> I want magic. Honestly, I want gay ghosts, but I'm not gonna get them. 
Um, <laughs> but at least some magic would be cool that doesn't involve dropping really pretty cakes on the ground or puddings or whatever the fuck they are. I don't know. With frosting flowers. Yeah. When we get to Hogwarts, we should figure out which of the ghosts are gay. I think I want to figure that out right now, but I agree that we should wait. <laughs> well, I just, I'm feeling like complaining. <laughs> you know, Perfect timing, because we're now moving into enchantingly nasty. <laughs> Let's complain. <laughs> Man, when you're a kid, it's really funny to watch this, like, little CGI elf go, <laughs> bonk, bonk. <laughs> But when you're an adult and you're reading it, you're like, it's sad. This is like, you think of what the human equivalent would be of this. Like, like that's what I was trying to think of. It's literally self-harm. It's very upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. I think because we had talked about in the episode last week that we were really excited for like the goofiness of Dobby, but he's not goofy. He's just actually very distressed. Yeah. Like, this, it's Ugh. not, uh, it's actually kind of very just upsetting and a little disturbing and sad. It's, it's really, like, thinking of how much I misremembered and did not, like, uh, consume this, this part of the story <laughs> with accuracy, like, mm-hmm. to what it actually felt like. It's it's really disturbing to me how there are so many parts of mental illness that we just put under a funny hat. Yeah. Like it it's not funny at all and um I some you know sometimes I get we need to find humor in a dark situation but um sometimes it feels like we're it's not just that it's laughing at the expense of somebody, but pretending that we're not. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's like self-deprecating humor is one thing. And like, I would like slapstick humor. It's like funny when you're a kid and stuff, but this isn't that like, he's not, no. it's not self-deprecating humor because he's, it's just actual self-harm. It's not humor. It's not funny. Nothing about it is funny. I don't understand why it's supposed to be funny in the movie because in the book it's not. <laughs> no. Uh, and it just makes me feel like it was interpreted by some people who have never come across self-harm in real life. And mm-hmm. wow, what a privilege. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. It's... It, it, I, I was trying to think of like where is a situation where something like this something that looks like this would be funny. And I can only think of like a Andy Dwyer type hijinks in parks and rec where it's like, he has some kind of misunderstanding where he's like, aha, I have to smash my head with a frying pan to make it work. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's funny because he's misunderstanding and because somebody smacking themselves could be funny with the right context. Um, And that's, and that's just not what this is at all. The thing is, even with those contexts, the idea of it being funny has to rely on them not actually being seriously injured at the end of the day. Like, if if you see somebody, like, doing, like, slapstick humor like that, you know it's for a joke and they're not actually injuring themselves. Dobby is actually injuring himself. Yeah, he puts his hands in the oven. Yeah, like, he's got, like, bandages (laughs) on and things, like... That there's like serious harm being done to him, mm-hmm. so it's just, it's just not funny. No, and it's we'll talk about it more, but it it just it feels like this really weird trope that I can't quite I can't quite describe exactly what the trope would be, but it it just it feels wrong (laughs) it feels wrong and it feels like the whole way house elves were constructed um makes this a problem yeah the whole concept is just seriously horrifying (laughs) yeah um we'll get into that a lot i think um for now let's uh let's talk about something a little brighter yes um (laughs) so this week i found a lovely fan fiction for Accio fandom 
Um, it's called Mint Humbugs. It is uh, by, I think the author's name is written by Blue Jay on um, Archive of Our Own. And it's basically just a, a telling of what it must have been like when Dobby went to Dumbledore and asked for a job. Um, and it's really nice to see where Dobby being in this place where, you know, he has agency over his life. He is uh, demanding fair pay. He is demanding um, good working conditions. And, and I mean, not demanding, but, you know, he's asking for them. Mm-hmm. Um, he has every right to demand them, but, you know, he's being polite and Dumbledore is here knitting and being very kind Um so they've just agreed on like what they're going to do. And so Dumbledore said, you work for Hogwarts as such. It is not your place to punish the staff of Hogwarts as headmaster. That is my role. You are not to punish yourself for any misdeed, no matter how severe without my direction. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Uh, Dobby understood. He said, now come here, Dobby. I'd like you to try on this scarf. If it helps, I've been repeatedly assured by my fellow teachers that my knitting does not count as clothes. <laughs> oh. So we have this very, just a very sweet moment that stands in deep contrast to um, the horrors of this <laughs> chapter. And it's just, it's just nice. And um, it's nice that this is going on behind the scenes yeah. in the books. Uh, I do. It's nice to kind I of do jump wish... ahead to some happy Dobby <laughs> stuff. Yeah. It's a. It's a reminder that there are some things that do get better as the books go on. Yeah. Um, we just don't get to see them in person a lot, which I think is some of what might make these books better uh, would be seeing those things that do improve because, um, you know, like seeing that in person and reading that in the book would be really awesome instead of like, yeah, I don't want to read about Snape and Narcissa and Bellatrix. I want to read about Dobby and Dumbledore having a, knitting circle by the fire (laughs) yeah i mean it's hard to give the books credit for doing something when it happens like not in canon like it i mean it it happens but you don't see it or anything so we know that dobby starts working we know that this scene happens but we don't actually get to see it or read it or experience it so it's hard to give the books credit for doing it when it's just like thrown in there it's like oh yeah this happened right you know it's like the whole gay Dumbledore thing. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, okay, great, but like you could have done something about it. Mm-hmm. It's uh and part of it is this like, you know, when you when you watch a play, a lot of times the action will happen off stage. Mm-hmm. But in a book, you know, you can you can write so many perspectives yeah. in a book. So um I just I think it's a shame that we didn't get to see this, but that is what makes fan fiction and fandom glorious because we did get to see it. Yes. So, yay. Yay, fandom. We have a lot to talk about in the Department of Social Justice. Where would you like to start? Um, it's pretty much everything about house elves. Yeah. Okay. Then, um, let's just start with house elves. Let's. <laughs> There's a lot to say. Yeah. There's the problem with, like, how they're constructed in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I want to acknowledge that people who are marginalized can sometimes be, um, you know, not not complicit. But, like, you know, you've been marginalized long enough that you don't want to fight up against the things that, you know, are being done to you. And you just say, you know what? This is my existence. I can deal with it. Sure, this is fine. Yeah. Like, that can happen. Um, yeah. But having, like, having this marginalized group be an entire, like, race of beings who are okay, who who tell everyone, like, no, like, we love this. Like, this is what we want to do. It's it's dishonorable to be paid. Like It's literally that... the entire species, too. Yeah, it's... Yeah, and it's just like it. The idea of it implies that if it's always been this way, it implies that house elves have only existed since like modern households have been a thing. Mm-hmm. Which I 
doubt is true. I don't think that house elves just like came into existence like in like I don't know the early 1900s or something or <laughs> right. like the 1800s maybe. I think that they've probably been around a long time and then they were just you know institutionally treated that way so widely that that's the only way they knew. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that that is what their species is or what their no. race is. That just means that that is what's been done to them. It it feels like propaganda. Like, yeah. and I know it's just Dobby that we see here, but like, it feels like the kind of stuff that you would read in really horrible textbooks about like um, enslaved people in the American South, mm-hmm. where the textbooks will say, you know, some people liked being slaves and um that's so extraordinarily fucked up and it just something tastes similar about like just having this this idea that these are these people are okay with this these people like this see they're telling you themselves they like it like yeah it just it doesn't sit right it doesn't doesn't feel right at all it's just bad (laughs) yeah (laughs) and and i get okay so i'm gonna skip ahead because that's what we do (laughs) yeah do it um so hermione does the whole spew thing obviously much further in the future here but um she gets shit from literally everybody pretty much about trying to help the house elves because she like doesn't do it correctly and like yeah she kind of messes up a bit and yeah like hiding clothes as a way to like um intent like free house elves against their will is probably not the best way to go about it and could be a little traumatizing for them because they don't know anything else. Right. But um, she's the only one who's actually trying to do anything. And if literally, like, anybody had helped her and been like, you know, Hermione, maybe that's not the best way to go about it, but it does need to happen, so let's work on this and come up with some, like, good ways to do this, mm-hmm. then, like, it could have something could have happened like they could have actually gotten some stuff done but instead everyone was just like no Hermione that's not a good way to do it so we just shouldn't do anything (laughs) it's like can there not be an in-between here where we try and figure something else out yeah I mean it's just (laughs) it's it's so sad it's so fucked up like the fact that this one child is the only one who sees like an actual like literal slavery happening and it's like you know we should do something about this like the fact that she's the only one trying to do something about it that's yeah ridiculous yeah we kind of just get introduced to them and told like bare minimum and then we are supposed to move on from the fact that there is an entire enslaved species existing in the magical world right um so it's it's fucked up it's fucked up and um as we go through the books i'll be on the hunt for different takes on house elves and things that other creators have to say because um i'm just mad i'm not eloquent (laughs) so um yeah yeah it it bothers me that it's not like as big of a plot line as it should be yeah and it bothers me that, like, Harry and Ron don't care. At all. Like, they're just like, well, they seem to like it, so we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Especially Ron. It's Yeah, especially Ron, which is really messed up. Because, like, I mean, he's the only one here who's actually been raised in the wizarding world of our, like, mm-hmm. three main characters. So he's the only one who actually, like, has known about this for a long period of time. So he should already know that it's messed up, and he should already care about that, and he doesn't. He's just like, well, it's just always been that way, and it always will be. <laughs> it makes me wonder how the rest of the Weasleys must talk about house elves, because, like, Hermione instantly sees it as a problem, and Harry sees it as a problem, but knows, you know, just just feels this kind of like, well, but I can't do anything about it. Like, yeah. this isn't... So it must be, like, I feel like it just must be 
that old, you know, like an old pure blood wizarding family must have some of the same perspectives on house elves that somebody like the Malfoys does, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm glad by the end of the series, Ron is like, nope, we need to take care of the house elves. But um, it's sad. It's sad that it's like this and it's fucked up. Yeah. Literally just everything about Dobby's life is sad. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but... But regardless of Ron or Harry, like, fuck the Malfoys. Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. It's such an interesting, like, um, difference between Draco and Harry here is Mm -hmm. that, like, Draco literally raised having this house elf and, like, punishing this house elf and, like, participating in this, like, institutionalized abuse of this Mm -hmm. species. And Harry meets Dobby and is immediately just like, not to offend you, just like asking, it's not a great time to have you here, like, do you want to sit down? And then he he doesn't even ask what he is because he's afraid that that's going to be offensive, so he's just like, or that he's going to be rude. So he's just like, so who are you? Like, what's going on? So he's very polite and um, treats Dobby just very humanely. Yeah. And then... Draco is literally, like, a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is not surprising, because the Malfoys are all Nazis, but right. it's an interesting uh, comparison. I mean, I'm not surprised, but, like, it's really disgusting how there is no kind of institutional check for the Malfoys in doing this. Yeah. There's nobody, you know... And, I mean, this makes this makes sense, Um you know, it takes a long time usually before uh, people start getting protections for people who need them. Um, but there's, you know, this is no- there's nothing here at all. This is just a completely um, like my instinct is to say archaic, but it's more than just like archaic. Like it's barbaric. <laughs> like there's no intervention on the part of the wizarding government to protect abuse of house elves by humans and that needs to change and i'm glad i'm sure glad that hermione exists for it but holy damn this this is a something to pay attention to for how deeply fucked up the wizarding world really is in the future yeah i just i also just don't understand the whole like, what was going through the author's mind when she created these house elves? I think it works well for, like, the whole, um, like, warning Harry kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it didn't have to be so... Brutal? Yeah, and abusive. Like, it didn't yeah. have to have all of these, um, like, punishments and things and self-harming. Like, none of that needed to be there. It... I think that's why it feels so weird and like it to me it feels connected to tropes that I've seen in like like in Shakespeare and sort of classical um like you know different renaissance plays and stories and retellings of things where there is a you know a character in a position a position of servitude mm-hmm. um a lot of times these characters are like people of color and like being cast in this light where he's like so noble and also kind of a jester. And um, I don't know. It just, it reminds me of some of the offensive things that I've seen in, you know, like reading my, for my English degree and um, maybe I'm reading too much into it and, and maybe it's not a good comparison at all. But it it just feels like that same kind of weird trope in yeah. some way, and um, call me in if that's a you no know, not a good way to describe it. Um, but it you know it it feels it feels wrong. <laughs> it feels yeah. fucked up, and I can't quite put my finger on the words. I mean, it's messed up that like Dobby is the one who's put in a position of needing to protect Harry when Mm -hmm. he's literally somebody who needs to be protected himself. 
yeah. and the fact that he's put in the position of being responsible for keeping Harry safe during this year, that he feels like a need to do that is that's so much to put on him because he's yeah going through his own stuff and yet he's just like putting his entire like Dobby seems to have no sense of like caring about what happens to his own life he just wants to make sure that nothing bad happens to Harry and that's just like really sad because like what Dobby's going through is I mean he's not being hunted by like a serial killing murderer Voldemort whatever and obviously um, Dobby is looking out for his own interests a little bit because he mentions that things were a lot worse for house elves before Voldemort kind of went away Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, he's feeling very protective of Harry, and this continues throughout the whole series, where he's taking on this kind of, like, caregiving kind of role for Harry. But he has his own stuff going on, and then whenever yeah. Harry just, like, gives him a fucking sock, all of a sudden Dobby's just like, wow, you're my best friend. And Harry's not a great friend to him. <laughs> no. Like, he accepts these tiny little, like things from Harry of like being asked to sit down he's just like wow you're so great you're such a kind and good wizard all I did was ask him to sit down and just because it's just really sad that his standards are so low that he's taking this like mediocre 12 year old boy as like his god yeah absolutely There's just a lot of ways it's messed up, and it's hard to really figure out all of the reasons that it bothers me. Totally. it's And it's just going to get deeper as we move through this book and the rest of the series, because Dobby comes to Harry's rescue time and time again, and Harry continues not to um, go out of his way. You know, he, he doesn't ever really go out of his way to show... Dobby his gratitude no he really doesn't no. I mean yeah he he cares about Dobby but he doesn't show it very well Mm-mm. um I mean he's never really had any good examples of showing like appreciation but still it's I think what bothers me the most about it is that despite the fact that Harry has never, he hasn't been, it's not like he grew up believing, okay, well, like house elves are supposed to serve humans, you know, he, he's 12 and then he finds out the house elves exist and it's still like, he almost just immediately gains this expectation that Dobby is supposed to be helping him. Yeah. Like that plays into every horrible stereotype you, possibly could imagine about a house elf yeah so and he even like doesn't seem to understand why dobby showed up even though dobby just straight up like kind of tells him like things were really bad before Voldemort run away i need you to not go die because it's gonna really (laughs) mess with things and harry's just like that's not convenient for me i'm gonna die here anyway so i might as well just go do that and it's like harry (laughs) This isn't always about you. <laughs> you need... It's hard, though, because it's like... It is he needs, hard, but... <laughs> and he needs help to figure out what to do, but he can't contact anybody because Dobby's cut him off. Yeah, that's a little problematic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we can... The only other thing um, I had for this chapter was... was Harry gets in trouble for the levitating charm where Dobby drops the pudding. Yeah. Um, which, you know, dropping a pudding is very dramatic and I appreciate that effect. <laughs> um, however, it is so it is so fucked up that Harry will be the one who gets in trouble for the abuse quote abuse of magic around him, um, where Ron and his brothers drive a flying car across the country <laughs> and get no nobody even notices because they don't have the you know the the um whatchamacallums the trace or whatever it is tracking to see yeah because they're like oh well you live with a bunch of wizards so you know it's fine 
<laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of fairness involved in any of this. No, not at all. Um, so that's just a just a little cherry on top of all of the nasty stuff yeah. that happens for social justice. Yeah, there's a strong need for chocolate. I believe so, and what we get is quite bitter. <laughs> um, so Dobby, like, obviously we've talked about what a horrific place Dobby has found himself in, and so everything that he does is kind of a result of that. Mm-hmm. However, um, I feel like it's just kind of important to talk about, like, when you are in such a severely like bad mental emotional psychological place like Dobby is Mm -hmm. sometimes you make choices that aren't great um and follow through on plans that are not helpful (laughs) and and gosh darn it he he does not this little warning does not give Harry as much help as he wants it to (laughs) I mean if, you know, if it had happened the way that, you know, Dobby doesn't show up and instead they just eventually see this, like, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened, enemy of the air, beware. They're going to be just as curious and confused about what is happening. Yeah. Um, and it's the only thing that Dobby gives them is that it's happened before, basically. Just something that happened before is going to happen again. Um, and that it's connected to the Malfoys. I just, I think they would have suspected Draco anyway. Um, and I'm just kind of complaining about Dobby <laughs> and I feel bad because like, <laughs> you know, he's trying his best. He's but, doing his very, very best. <laughs> but like, I, I just, I can't not imagine myself as Harry, like having this horrible situation with the Dursleys, then coming upstairs and then Dobby is up there, like, <laughs> smashing his head against the wall and wailing and like, oh, Harry Potter, you're so wonderful. <laughs> oh, you're going to die if you go to school. <laughs> like, that, that does not feel helpful at all. That feels so stressful and so, like, oh my gosh. And that's just a really unfortunate result of horrible things happening to people. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's Harry and Dobby both need help here, and they are not helping each other Mm-mm. at all. <laughs> it's it's just so sad, and it's really frustrating that there's not like there are no institutions in place to help these people, so that you know if just one of them needed help, that the other one would be able to give it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, well because like there should be a place that Dobby can go to to report this information that isn't some random 12 year old boy yeah like Harry should not be the only one that he can talk to about this no because he's so worried that he's going to get in trouble for like you know going against his masters or whatever that he literally can only talk to Harry Potter like that's ridiculous mm-hmm. it's you know, it's kind of like when Hagrid, the only people who could help him with Norbert were Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit different. I would say that Dobby's in kind of a worse position. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's not Harry's mm-hmm. responsibility. Yeah. It's... Uh. <laughs> and And... <laughs> Dobby is not Harry's responsibility either, and yet they are, like, thrust into each other's arms because (laughs) they're the only nice people in the entire country. (laughs) Like, That's true. I think it's hard because, like, on one... Like, I'm not really sure what Dobby's main goal was. It was either to protect Harry or to basically give Harry this job of making sure this doesn't happen. But he, because he he thought that by Harry not going that this whole thing wouldn't happen. But who's to say that this whole thing wouldn't have happened even if Harry didn't go? Like, the Chamber of Secrets still could have opened and accomplished, like, some pretty big harm. Even if it didn't kill Harry Potter, it still would have, you know, been a very big issue. (laughs) Yeah. 
Lucius wouldn't have known that they were like, you know, that that Harry wasn't going to go to school or something. He was just putting that book in whoever's cauldron he could. Yeah, he was just trying to get it into the school. Yeah. It makes me sad that there aren't resources for them. But, you know, it's... I, <laughs> I feel like it's still important to see how... I don't know. the. I don't want to just say, like, well, you know, they were both in desperate situations, so it wasn't their... It wasn't entirely their fault or something. Because yeah. we do... We do silly things when we're in desperate times and we have to, like, see those moments so we can learn from them. Yeah. Harry's in such a desperate time, he thinks he is going to starve to death (laughs) over the next few weeks. So. Yeah. I mean, which is possible at the rate that the Dursleys are handling food here. Yeah. Soggy vegetables and broth and... Oh. I don't know. It's... Part of why this chapter hit me so hard is it's like, I didn't, I didn't realize how dire that situation became. Um, I didn't remember at least that he was actually afraid he was going to starve to death. That's yeah, really sad. Yeah. Cause we talked a bit last week about um, the use of food as punishment and whatnot, but like this mm-hmm. goes beyond, you know, unhealthy eating and into like seriously dangerous. Yeah. Like starving somebody that's um that's a crime (laughs) in many ways um man and like i feel like usually i have like all of this this list of things like here's what we need to like change this situation dumbledore should have done this so-and-so should have done that but i don't even i don't feel that right now i just i you know like, of course, all of that stuff should have happened. Somebody should have been doing something, but they haven't. And this is the result of that. Yeah. It's it's not, like, an easy situation to solve because there's just so many things that went wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's a whole... A lot of it comes down to the whole house off situation. But even <laughs> right. beyond that, like, the whole idea that we're just sending kids to a school where they can die and it's supposed to be the kid's decision whether or not they're going to go die right is um ridiculous mad sus (laughs) there's a lot of responsibility put on these kids that it shouldn't be there no it's Uh, yeah (laughs) yep (laughs) nothing to say but that (laughs) not a particularly happy chocolate is it no i feel like trelawney this is not a happy cup (laughs) it's a Um, very bad cup it is so let's go into the basin of the pensive and (laughs) cleanse ourselves Um, deep here yes um and honestly to do that i just i just am stuck on ron honestly um where last year in Sorcerer's Stone, we had Hagrid break into the hut to save Harry. Um, and this year, we have... And, you know, we have Hagrid break in at Dumbledore's instruction, basically. <laughs> Here, we have Ron and his brothers who decide, our friend is in danger, we are going to break the rules and go and save him. Yeah. And he, like... He had no incentive to do this you know he doesn't have somebody telling him you have to do this this is just his heart and i i feel like this is a more important moment in the series than i ever really realized it was um just to kind of keep that in mind when i'm getting really angry at ron (laughs) future books um that this is this is like this is the best that he can be you know, this is like the peak of Ron in many ways, and that's a that's a that's a big deal because this is a really amazing thing that he does. Yeah, he. I don't give Ron a lot of credit. <laughs> Fair. It's um, it's very rare, but um, yeah, I have to give him a lot of credit for this one just because like the position he's in, like it takes a lot of like confidence to just go and steal your father's car and fly to London just because your friend's not replying to your letters. Yeah. Like, 
And he knows Harry so well that he knows that that wouldn't happen if everything was okay. And he's right. He knew that Harry was in trouble. And, like, I mean, Harry had bars on his windows. He was being starved. Like, he he needed somebody to come help him. And Ron knew that. And he could tell that. And he just showed up. And he's like, well, no one else is going to help Harry. So I'm going to help Harry. Yeah. And he just, he gets it done. And it's, it's good. It shows you how much he learned from their year of adults not listening to them. Yeah. That... He's like, okay, no one's doing anything. I've, I've got to do it. I've got to do my equivalent of saving the Sorcerer's Stone here. Yeah. <sighs> Ron. If nothing else, they're brave kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they might be and... stupid kids. <laughs> but they're brave. But I think bravery and stupidity go hand in hand sometimes. A lot of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is the Gryffindor way. <laughs> oh. That's like the the main two moods of Harry Potter's bravery and stupidity. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's the best. <laughs> um, what more could you want? Right. Ending on a happier note here. <laughs> I like it. Um, what are what are your reflections here? Oh, Harry's life is wild. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My only note is that Harry, <laughs> Harry's life is just so ridiculous for a 12-year-old. And I'm very impressed with him. I mean, he's not perfect, but he's a 12-year-old boy who's going through a lot and has all these other people who are going through a lot just showing up. And um, I think he handles it as well as he can. Yeah. And... It's really admirable considering everything he's been through. And I spent a lot of the last book just like thinking about the fact that he handles stuff surprisingly well for the amount of abuse that he endured. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it, there's no exception with this chapter is that he handles things remarkably well for what he's gone through. Yeah, absolutely. He mm. shouldn't have to, but <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's uh it's really nice and it would be a lot it would be an interesting challenge to watch a protagonist handle things not as well as they could um it's part of what order of the phoenix is so good because yeah you know he's doing his best but it's a very different type of reaction than we're used to seeing from harry it's important too yeah Mm -hmm. because i mean it's it's one thing to if you can handle stuff like that with grace, then that's great. That's awesome. But a lot of people cannot. It's mm-hmm. not something that you should expect of yourself to just be able to, like, handle absolutely everything without any sort of issues going on. <laughs> right. Any stress or anything like that. It's just, it's generally not possible. No. Harry does it surprisingly well, um, but mm-hmm. he's also a child, and that's a time when people can adjust to changes is because kids are meant to have a lot of changes going on. Mm-hmm. Not as much as he does, but you know, right. um, <laughs> when he gets older, I think we get a better interpretation of something more realistic. Definitely. It's much closer to how um, people not living in a book react to those kinds of situations. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, hoping for brighter chapters moving forward. Mm-hmm. We're going to the borough, though, which I think is going to feel great. Yeah, I hope so. I have really good memories of the borough, so I really hope that they can stay good. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Um... Oh, man. I feel like it'll be a lot easier for me to justify my memories of Molly Weasley than the ones I have of Dobby at this point. <laughs> like, yes, she's yelling at her children and she's being unfair, but um, that feels different than what we see with Dobby. I don't know. <laughs> like, just, just a little. I think um, that Molly's character is just more... Um, there's more 
effort put into her, building her character. Mm-hmm. Um, Dobby feels very one note. He's, yeah. He's there for a reason. And that, I mean, he's literally just there to guide Harry a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so whenever he's not of use, then he kind of just disappears. Mm-hmm. So I think it's with Molly we get a lot more of um, her own personality. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to us complain for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you enjoyed this complaining, we will have much more for you next week when we discuss Chapter 3, The Burrow. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, we're Beyond the Veil Pod, and on Twitter, we're Beyond the Veil MN. Finn, can you, like, stop playing with pens for a second? No? Okay, well, at least he's doing it quietly now. (laughs) (laughs) That's future Maddie's problem. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Beyond the Veil. Today we're discussing chapter, or nope, not chapter of secrets, although... (laughs) It is a chapter of secrets, Ooh. so to speak. <laughs> Welcome back to Beyond the Finn. I can't with you right now. <laughs> he has a whole ass sharpie in his mouth. He is walking around with a whole ass sharpie in his mouth, and he just dropped it on the ground. Mischief. Well, at least he doesn't have it anymore. Oh my god. <laughs> Welcome back to Beyond. The- <laughs> 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 Woo! Woo! <laughs> <laughs>